Hello and welcome to another episode of Checkpoint, the podcast highlighting and telling the stories of influential leaders in and around the sports industry. Today, we're excited to welcome our next guest, Ford Dyke, to the show. Ford is a doctor of philosophy and kinesiology and is a team member of USA Handball. Dr. Dyke specializes in performance and exercise psychophysiology and is a subject matter, subject matter expert in mindfulness-based performance and health optimization. Ford, has an athlete, or Ford is an athlete who has a life of extreme sports and basketball as a kid in Jupiter and now is playing professional handball all around the world. His journey through sports has given him a very unique perspective as he has studied and played at the highest level of sport, which is why we're excited to dive into the conversation today. Ford spends the majority of his time in school or training for the Olympics, but has recently launched his company, Per Four Humans, which is putting the human back in performance. Dr. Dyke currently lives down in Auburn, Alabama, but for the next 45 minutes, he's going to be hanging out with us here on Checkpoint. Ford, my man, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Scott, I got to tell you, man, I am a huge fan of car audio. In fact, I had a 2004 Chevrolet Blazer that I recently sold, and that really hurts my heart to say that. <laughs> the point of that is to say I had two 15s in the back, and that intro song right there would be rattling your cortex a little bit. So Ooh, plus, five, plus five for the beat, man. That thing is solid. Ah, appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. You know, we got to try and get into that flow state right oh, off the yeah. gate here. So, oh, yeah, for um, sure. Appreciate it. So, uh, so listen, for all you first time listeners, we're going to take the next 45 minutes and we're going to unpack Ford's incredible story. Uh, we're going to go all the way back to his early days in Jupiter. We're going to learn about his journey to what he's currently doing now. And then based off all that experience, where he sees, where he sees things going. So, you know what they say, Ford's are built tough, man. We're excited to jump into this conversation. Ford, take us back to Jupiter, Florida, and tell us about this crazy journey that you've been living through your life. Yeah, for sure, Scott. Thanks again for having me. I think the irony there is my parents named me Ford, but they're GM snobs, and I had a Chevrolet for a long time and just moved on to another GM product. So they should have named me Chevrolet or Caddy <laughs> no. or something. I don't know, man. But anyway, you're right. It all started at Jupiter. Uh, since you're from South Florida, I'm going to even take you back further. It was actually to Cuesta, Florida. The village of Tequesta. Yeah, man. I know that's, Tequesta. That's born and raised 318, homage to the original house. My whole family, other than me, is from the West Coast. They're all from California. So I was the last born number four in Florida. So I'm the only Floridian in my immediate family. And just being a part of that area, as you know, you have access to the water, you have access to the trees, to the environment, to the spaces that are really conducive for just free thinking, you know, and be free spirited and just allow yourself to explore and to see what comes to fruition. And, you know, maybe some of this is hindsight, but looking back on it, I think it was necessary for me to have that space in order to explore at such an early age to avoid any type of constriction or, you know, constraints on my mind and my body and my soul. And it's probably no accident that I'm now SME of mindfulness-based performance and health optimization, you know, especially being in, on the ocean, being on the coast, sitting on the sand, looking out, and there's no obstructions there. You know what I mean? Yeah. As you sit there on that sand, there, there's nobody telling you what to do. There's nobody saying you got to slow down, you got to color within the lines, or you got to, you know, walk a certain way. You really kind of do whatever the hell you wanted to do. And that, I think, was the initial 
catalyst for how I live my life now. And I haven't really gone back. Those are my roots, man. I, I can't go too far away from it. I love it. And, and, you know, it takes one to know one. I'm from Port St. Lucie, Florida. And so for all you guys aren't familiar with the South Florida makeup, um, you know, once you get past south of Orlando, you might as well either be going to the Caribbean or to the Northeast. So <laughs> so we're from the South, but I don't know. We're not really Southern guys. No, um, until, not at all. <laughs> until we both have our journey take us to Alabama. But we'll save that for later in the it's discussion. It's so crazy. Yeah, the universe is crazy, Scott, for sure. It's it's a fun place. And, uh, and there's no such thing as a coincidence, which is why, you know, we ended up here on the screen today. And so, you know, I, I'm really curious, going to pepper you with a few questions here. You talk about your early days growing up and you were doing all these extreme sports, chasing the adrenaline. Yeah. Um, and now with your mindfulness practice, one of the through lines that we see in extreme sports is catching that flow state. When you're on the skateboard, the wakeboard, the surfboard, you're right. just in it. Did you know at an early age that you wanted to do something and, and connect the mind and body or were you just doing it chasing the adrenaline? Um, I think it was the former. I think I was obsessed with speed and I really liked to feel free, whether that was on a skateboard going down a hill or on a BMX bike coming off of a lip of a ramp or out in the ocean catching a huge wave, getting towed in by a jet ski, whatever it was, that, that heart rate going up breathing rate increasing, you start to get that little jitter, that little shake, but being able to harness that and to ride a wave or launch off a ramp or successfully land a trick in the air, that was exciting to me, you know, and there's not a coach telling you, oh, you know, you did that wrong. You got to have better form. Extreme sports is really all about you. Now things are changing as far as, you know, skateboarding and BMXing and surfing are now coming into the Olympics. So training protocols are shifting. Athletes are changing. But this is me back in, I don't know, 10, 15, 12 years ago. So to answer your question, I was in the moment at all times when it came to my sport. And it was really the only place that I could not think. You know, like when I paddled out into the water, there's no worries. I know that sounds pretty cliche, and I know a lot of surfers will say that. But truly, that's how you feel when you're out there. You're just connected to the planet. You know, I mean, you're out there with, animals underneath you that you don't know are there, but you know are there, if you see what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. And people may say, oh, that's crazy. You know, a shark will come and bite you. But it's all about your vibe. You know, Bob Marley talked about it a long time ago. Vibrations. Everything is energy. And if you're coming with something negative, then that's what you're going to be receiving. But if you're putting out some positivity, it's coming back full circle. And thankfully, I've never been injured by an animal in the ocean. You know, I've been injured by other things. And that's really the segue is what got me into sports science, psychophysiology, mindfulness training, was I sustained a lot of injuries. And, you know, that, that shit hurts. It hurts really bad. You know, you take, for example, Jonathan Dickinson State Park, which I know you're familiar with, mm. July of 2000 and let's call it 10, 2009 maybe, I'm shirtless, I'm shoeless, classic, South Floridian. <laughs> And we go out there to bomb hills on skateboards and it's in the middle of July, man. So the pavement is a hundred and who knows what degrees. And my friends were, you know, all pretty similar in a way that you try to challenge each other. Like, oh, you can't go faster or you can't hit that power slide harder. So we're going down these hills and, you know, long story short, I just sustained first, second degree burns all over my body, split my chin open. My friend behind me saw the blood splatter back onto his area. My lip tore open. My hands had holes in them. My toes were, it, it was bad. I mean, it was really, really bad. When I showed up to the ER, 
they asked me if I was in a motorcycle accident just to kind of give you some context as to how screwed up my body was. I mean, I had board shorts on, that's it. And that's not even yeah. any type of protection really. Yeah. So I have this classic picture. My mom and I were talking about the other day, I'm laying in a bed and I look like a, a mummy. Like I'm mummified with all these gauzes and bandages wrapped around me. And that was the moment where I realized like this, is, this is not sustainable. You know what I mean? You can't just keep doing this and expecting that you're going to feel the same way you felt before the injury, but through that healing process, because it is a process and it takes time for your body to come back online. Of course, I started to realize that it was the mind that was really in control, you know? And with that, I got more and more interested in wanting to study what is it that facilitates that mind body connection? Is it something mm -hmm. external? Is it something internal? Is it something that we have full control of? Is it something that it's influent? Like what was it? And this is me, you know, middle of, high school, early college. So ultimately I studied psychology, straight up psychology at the University of North Florida. I didn't go and become a collegiate athlete. I probably could have played basketball at a higher level, but I just wasn't really interested in that. I didn't really like authority at the time. I didn't get along with coaches. I didn't like police officers. I barely liked my mom telling me what to do, but mm -hmm. she's a, she's a single parent and you don't mess around with her cause she's got two, you know, two priorities. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so ultimately studied psychology and started learning that there's science behind how our mind is in control of our body and vice versa. You know, there's a lot of signals we'll sure we can get into that come up from down below into the brain. So it really, yeah. it drove me to go further because in high school I was bored. I was super bored and I just wanted to be outside on a skateboard, on a bike, in the, in the water, whatever. I wasn't like a bad kid per se, but I acted out because I was bored and I got my friends in trouble and my friends didn't necessarily have the highest of grades. So they try to like push me into honors or like whatever. I know we were talking about this the other day, you know, like, oh, you got to get into AB classes. I'm like, that's so, those are nerds. Like, I don't want to deal with these people. <laughs> you know, I just want to hang out with my homies, leave school and go do some fun stuff. But ultimately, you know, getting into college, I think is really where it all started. I think that was the paradigm shift and taking into account that I had the autonomy to decide my major. You know, my mom was in full support of whatever I wanted to do. And that's a huge shout out because I know there's a lot of parents that, you know, state otherwise. And, you know, I'm a mentor now for college students. And sometimes I got to swallow my tears a little bit, man, because students are just they're guided by the long the wrong light. You know, like they're just doing what they're told to do. And that's to me the opposite of college. So. Long story mm. even longer, going to college and then just learning about these tools and these techniques. I was like, man, th this is the real deal, you know? And then ultimately went into grad school and we can we can definitely unpack that as well. Yeah, I, and I'm excited to. And, and so before we move on, I'm super curious uh, and turn that mug around if you don't mind, give everybody a shout out. Uh, hey, hey, oh, here we go. Slow so I'm gonna, rep my, I'm gonna rep my zip code 772. Uh, five, you six, give a little shout, 561, there you go. <laughs> Um, and, and so I'm curious, you know, I, I wanted to go back to to that point in time where you you got busted up coming off of, um, you know, coming off of skateboarding. You're laying that in the hospital. One injury. That was just one example. <laughs> I mean, there's a laundry list. And, and, and that's where I wanted to go real quick, because, you know, you talked about being able to escape and go beyond the water. And that was your homeostasis. That was oh, your yeah. place to get away. Well, how so. did you? 
how did you cope with that mentally when you couldn't get and go where you would traditionally release that energy or find common peace? So when you were injured, how did you start to cope with that early on in life um, when sport wasn't available? Uh, one word, music. Music mm. is what is what did it for me. And I grew up in a household that was all about music. My mom, her collection, dude, her CD collection is insane. And I know like people are like, CDs, what's that? Or records, what are those? MP3, bro. But she still has it, you know? And every now and again, I'll go home and I'll try to swipe a CD for a little bit, put it back in. But that's that's what it was, it's just music. I think that really kickstarted my healing process and allowed me to go to a different space other than an external environment. It let me go to an internal environment. You see what I'm saying? And with that, I started to reflect on what's going on upstairs, what's happening in between my ears and paying attention to it, not trying to control it or judge it or react to it. Just sit back and notice where are these thoughts coming from? Why am I having these thoughts? Who I don't I mean, this is me at 20 something years old. So I'm thinking to myself, this is kind of crazy, you know? And you, you skip ahead 10, 15 years of education, you realize that we have over 80,000 thoughts a day. That's what neuroscientists suggest. 80,000 thoughts a day, that's a ton of thoughts. And that's just an average. And most of these mm -hmm. thoughts are habitual, right? Like, oh, I got to brush my teeth. We don't even really think about it. it's subconscious. But a lot of our thoughts are above the conscious level. So with that being said, we then have control. And if we have control of our thoughts, we have control of our behaviors, we have control of our behaviors, we got control of our life. We got control of the situation. But to answer your question, it was music. Music is really what did it for me. And it was infusing me at a young age. I thought my mom was weird for listening to jazz music. You know, I thought that was kind of lame. But now, man, I understand it all. I get it. Like listening to singer songwriters, hip hop, country, folk. I mean, my list is EDM, it, chill tempo. It, it goes all over the place, you know. So yeah. I think it's a testament to where I'm from. And like you said earlier, that... Uh, that synthesis of so many people down in South Florida coming together is probably a product of the music environment as well. It's really cool. And, and you know, so many athletes have that moment um, when they get hurt, right? And they have to take that moment to look at that man or the woman in the mirror and say, okay, what got me here may have been just pure ability. It may have been hard work, but now Boom, subtle, abrupt. And if you've been neglecting looking back in the mirror and figuring out those voices, we don't always have the mental conditioning, maybe like we do the physical conditioning to right. understand that. So I'm really I was just curious sort of how, you know, what you use to help guide that journey and and music for myself, man. I mean, maybe that's why we get along. But um, it, I start my day with it, upbeat music and people wonder why I have so much energy. And I think that that is just such a way to feed the soul. And oh, yeah. it is uplifting and it's so much bigger than you and so um we'll get into the science of that here later in the conversation for but sure, for sure so so let's keep the journey moving so you you go to north florida you get your undergrad in psychology how the hell do you end up going to auburn alabama <laughs> war eagle war <laughs> damn man war damn yeah yeah to your point i don't have at the time my brother is now here in the phd program but at the time i didn't even really know anything about alabama I mean, that's not like a knock on Alabama, but being from Jupiter, Florida, like, you know, you're in like baby Hawaii. So all you really care about <laughs> is baby Hawaii. You know, it's a phenomenal place. I'm grateful to have started there. Um, but long story short, finish undergraduate. I take a gap year. 
because I knew that I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't know what a, what the process was like. I didn't really know what institution I was going to land at. The only thing I knew was I wanted to study cognition and its effect on performance. So I wanted to know why do you, can you take two athletes of equal training level, one chokes under pressure and one performs under pressure? What is that? That's not cardiovascular. That's not resistance training. That's not f- watching film, etc. That's something upstairs. And once I realized that, someone just kind of low-key hit me with the word kinesiology. I'm like, what is kinesiology? Like, I can't even pronounce that. And I like, that's not even a joke. I really couldn't spell it for like the first few months of my degree. I'm not even kidding you. <laughs> I'd always have to spell check it. But kinesiology is the study of movement, health, and performance. Kin is Latin for movement. Ology, obviously, the study of. And I started looking online and I found Auburn University. I'm like, damn, this looks kind of nice. You know, let me check it out. I went on a site visit to a couple other institutions, which we won't talk about because they were terrible. And I landed in Auburn and I remember my mom hitting me on the shoulder. She's like, yo, son, this is what I'm talking about. Like we just rolled up on Donahue. We saw the stadium. It's like, whoa, I went to UNF. There's not even a football stadium at UNF. I'm like, what is that thing? You know, I'm used to basketball arenas and baseball fields. Like, what is that? And people are like, yo, that's the temple. You know what I mean? Like, the, all all roads lead to Jordan-Hare Stadium. 80-something thousand people in this place. And I'm coming in in 2012 as a master's student, not knowing left from right. And I'm going into a new major, a whole new field of study that I don't really have any background in other than psychology. Um, but that feeling of being uncomfortable and putting myself in a space that I could really maturate quickly and I don't want to say be forced to do so, but be challenged to push yourself to the highest level. That was the ultimate catalyst. And that's from that point on, it was like jet fuel. It just took off, man. It's incredible. And so a couple plugs real quick. If you haven't been to Auburn, it's an absolute must go. Um, When you're there, you got to stop at Mama G's because it is (laughs) knock your socks off. Um, So everyone talks about the barbecue in Alabama, but man, they got something special there in Mama G's. Um, And we will just leave it at that. But um, that's incredible, man. I think, you know, Auburn is a special gem and they're known for that program there. So you come in, you start to immerse yourself with it. I believe you're a couple years into your program. Let's go to 2013 when you met Javier Garcia. Let's and I because I think that's a that's a pretty pivotal moment here in the story. So I'll let you tell the guest who he is and sort of how handball came onto the scene. Yeah, no doubt. So 2012, start my master's, 2013, the summer of 2013, I'm finishing my master's degree. I go on a visit to a conference out in New Orleans, first and only time to, to New Orleans. And New Orleans. Um, for, for right reasons, that place is like, oh, man, that's a whole nother level. So <laughs> I'm on my way back. I'm with my supervisor and my supervisor, the director's, the director of the school, my boss's boss, and a lab mate. And she's kind of, you know, chatting to us in the car hey guys, there's going to be this tryout here in the Coliseum. It's handball. And I'm like, yada, yada, yada. I don't really, like, I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I'm thinking it's the ball against the wall. Like I have zero interest. I'm more of an explosive athlete. I like to run, jump, catch, throw, cut, things like that. I'm an extreme sport athlete. Handball against the wall sounds so boring to me. It sounds so old, man. I got to put goggles on and a jock strap and I got to sweat. You know what I'm saying? Like that sounds terrible. (laughs) And she's like, no, no, guys, you know, it, it's like water polo on land. And I was like, oh, wait, what? You said the word water. My ears perk up, obviously. So we get home and 
a week or two goes by and my supervisor, Dr. Miller, emails me and he says, hey, I can't make this presentation, but the USOPC, United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, they're coming on a site visit in conjunction with the tryout to decide between other areas if they want to start their residency program at Auburn University. I'm like, well, what is a residency program? Like, what is the USOPC? Growing up, I didn't really even watch the Olympics. That's full disclosure. I was X Games, man, like extreme sports. Let's go. Olympics, like, yeah, it's kind of standard issue. Things have changed because they've got extreme sports in the Olympics now. So that's a whole different story. (laughs) But I'm doing a little research. I'm like, okay, doc, you know, you're the boss. I guess I got to present or whatever. So I come into the room. This is mid-July of 2013. And you've got the head coach, the director of high performance, the manager, the CEO, the list goes on. The director of our school, the assistant director of our school, the lead coordinator of our school. And I'm 20-something not knowing anything, Scott. Dead serious. One of my first biggest presentations I've ever done. And people talk to me now, they're like, oh, you know, you present so well. But what people don't realize is I used to script out every single line before every single presentation as a master student. And I would memorize the whole thing. It was crazy, right? So you can imagine the anxiety that I had, the heart rate. It felt like I was on a damn skateboard again, right? But like not in control, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's not like that anymore, thankfully. But I was gonna say you come a long way. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, (laughs) it's practice for sure. Yep. But I come into the room and I'm like, Oh, this is crazy. And it was one of those moments where I knew I was in the moment. You know, it was one of those moments where like you could feel the walls of the room kind of pull in a little bit and the eyes just start meeting with you. And you're you're like, man, yo, you got the microphone in your hand. All eyes are on you. You better say something. So I guess the presentation went well. I don't even know what I said because it was just one of those like, you know, blackout moments, if you will. Yep. And at the end of the presentation, people are having questions and answer, and you know, people are kind of chatting and whatever. And the head coach, Javier Garcia Cuesta of the men's national team, walks up to me and he said, You know, thank you so much for the presentation. I, you know, I really enjoyed what you had to say. Tomorrow we have a tryout. This is Friday afternoon. Tomorrow we have a tryout, two part tryout, morning and afternoon. You look like you're in shape. You should come to the tryout. And I was like, oh, yeah, coach. Yeah, you know, it's so nice meeting you, yada, yada. I, you know, I'm, I'm here for academics. Ha, ha, ha. Like, I don't really know what handball is. And I'm kind of giving them some bullshit, right? Because in a way, I'm intimidated. But also, on the other side of the coin, I'm, I'm kind of stoked because I didn't play college sports. But I've always maintained my athleticism and maintained my physical conditioning and shape, et cetera. So I'm in that moment. I'm like, man, this is this is an opportunity. I recognized it. Like, this is an opportunity. I don't know what it means. I don't know what the national team means. I don't know what residency program means. I didn't know what anything meant. I didn't even know how to throw a handball. And he's just looking at me. And he said, I'll teach you. And he just kind of like walks out of the room, just like, just like disappeared. And I'm just standing there. And I'm like, uh, I'll teach you. Like, that was kind of crazy, you know, and thinking about the whole reason I came to grad school was to learn and the notion of there's nothing that you can teach me that I can't learn. I always try to keep that close to my heart. So ultimately I respected him because I wasn't going to disrespect him by saying, you know, I'm not going to come to your tryout. Saturday morning comes around. Scott, I am on another level. I am in another galaxy, man. I'm walking in 
red, white, and blue. There's got little <laughs> sign in table banners are out. There's people standing around in like shirts and ties looking at you like, yo, this is great. And it's nothing. It's just a stupid tryout. You see what I'm saying? Like not a stupid yeah. tryout, but you know what I mean? Like it's nothing really. But in my mind, like this is the shit. Like this is the opportunity of a lifetime for something that I don't even know what I'm doing. Literally, yeah. I have no idea what I'm doing. So we go through the tryout and I'm just trying to ball out. You know, I'm just trying to pull off of basketball. That was my only recreational sport growing up. My whole family played it. And I'm just trying to use those skills of court awareness, pass it where you need to pass it, you know, no look passes. Don't really know how to throw at that point. I never played a throwing sport, but I'm 6'4". I got a crazy long wingspan. I'm 200 something pounds. I can jump out of the gym for a white kid. And, you know, I thought I did decently well, but I was like, eh, whatever. I left it all on the court. It is what it is. This is the first session. I'm over yeah. on the right side of the court, stretching out my hamstrings and coach Javier Cuesta walks up to me. I said, Hey coach, you know, how's it going? Uh, you know, I really like your style. I like your ability. And I think we could work with you and walks away again. I'm like, Oh, this guy is like, I don't even know. Like, uh, yes, sir. Okay, sir. Yeah. I'm going to go home and <laughs> stretch some more and get an ice bath. Cause I haven't done any movement like that in quite a while. So I returned to the second tryout that later that evening. And it was like game speed, man. They had a couple other players that knew more about what they were doing. And they put us on like a six on six situation and it's a full contact sport if you're not aware of, of handball. It's not like football or rugby, but it's a full contact sport. And at the time, I wasn't really um, physically ready for that. But cognitively, I have a little bit of a – a uh, how would I word that? Not crazy, but it goes back to extreme sports. Like I don't crazy. mind. I don't. Yeah. I mean. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. <laughs> like I don't mind. I don't mind. Like you know, getting hit or like feeling my body get jolted. I kind of do now, though. That's a whole other story. But <laughs> in that moment, I was like, "Yo, you're gonna hit me. I'm gonna hit you. Let's ride." And yeah. by the end of that second tryout, the coach walked up to me again. He's like, "Again, we're really, you know, we're really interested in you, and we'd like to welcome you to the residency program. There's gonna be about 20 athletes here." And it was July at the time. We're going to start in September. But since you're here and I'm now here too, coach is now here, I'll start training you early. And I said, yes, sir. And I shook his hand. And I didn't even know that I said yes. You know what I mean? I just kind of like my heart was speaking. It was just like, yes, okay. And wow. then I got home and I'm like, how am I going to continue to study in grad school and train full time five nights a week, three sessions in the morning, eight sessions total, watching film, learning a sport I don't even know about in my mid twenties competing against people that have played since they're three, four, five, six years old overseas. So it was a humbling experience. Those first, you know, that rookie year, man, whew, I took my licks, you know, I, I took my blood, sweat and tears, real talk. I mean, yeah. it was, it was no joke, but then having the ability to travel around the world and play a sport for red, white, and blue and hear that national anthem that that's a whole nother. I mean, it's just, I don't, there's like really no words to describe that feeling. That is, uh, what, what an incredible story. And I think, you know, so many times we try to premeditate or we want to, we have a, a script on what we're supposed to do and what success looks like. And, you know, I can just speak from some of my, you know, current experiences and, and a nurse is a powerful thing. And sometimes oh, yeah. you just got to go where it takes you and embrace the journey and realize that the journey is the destination. And, For sure. and I think your story right there just exemplifies that. Now I'm curious because at this point you were really 
starting to become um, more in tune with that mind-body relationship. So as you started to learn this new sport and really embrace yourself in both of these realms, did you feel like that gave you a competitive edge or advantage against some of your competitors, even though you were a little behind as far as the game went? I think so. I, I think it gave me an advantage when it came to skill acquisition. In other words, learning the necessary skills you need to be able to perform at that level. While it may not have necessarily made me like perform better per se, it made me learn faster. Because mm -hmm. when you talk about learning in general, especially from a motoric standpoint, learning a motor skill, you have to understand that there's different stages and different phases of learning. And at a certain point when a human grows to, let's say, 15, 16, 17, the frontal lobe starts to shift when it comes to learning new skills. In other words, it's more difficult to acquire a new skill at a certain age. So here I am at 23, four, something like that. And I'm trying to pick up a brand new motoric skill. That is counterintuitive. That's the opposite of the way in which the central nervous system works. So to your question about mindfulness, I truly believe that it helped me disassociate from trying to learn this new skill and just try to be out there and perform the skill. Because those are two different things. Learning and performing are very separated. While we think they're together and they are interdependent in a way, they're also separated. You can measure performance, you can measure learning, but at a certain point, one is different than the other, if that makes sense. So yeah. mindfulness is a tool and a technique to keep me in the moment, you know, and to allow me to stick with the process. I'm a huge proponent, a huge believer of trusting the process. That's massive. That is so, so important, especially in athletics and education, cons consultation, mentorship, whatever it might be. You got to trust the process. You got to trust the universe. You got to show up every day with as much energy as you can and a positive mindset and to be willing to fail forward. You know, take your lick, but learn from your lick. Don't take your lick and be, oh, what was me? My head is down. What can I do better? Take your lick and assess the situation and say, all right, I got you on the next rep. Because every rep matters. Every rep is one rep. You're not thinking about rep 10 if you haven't done rep two. You see what I'm saying? So if you're staying with rep one is rep one and that's done, rep two is now the new rep one and that's done, rep three is the new rep one and that's done, you just keep staying in that moment, continually in that moment. Believe me, that may sound easy to talk about, but that's a very, very difficult, very difficult skill to acquire and let alone implement during training. Man, I can so relate. You know, I was a punter in college. And so, you know, we would always talk about 80% is mental, 20% is physical, right? And so it's like, if you do shank that first punt, like physically, I can go and do it all over again. But how do you just erase that or move on? And I think that it, it takes being present, right? Because we oh, figure yeah. out if we leave, if we live too far in the future, we get anxious. If we live too far in the past, we get depressed. And so it's really just working on being where your feet are and then embracing it as it comes. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Um, and so one thing that I have to point out to the listeners here, you know, because I've had a conversation with Ford offline is that, you know, not only did he take on USA handball while now starting to embark on professorship and, you know, becoming a doctoral student, he slept for eight to nine hours every night. I'm telling you, man. I have told everybody about it since our first conversation. I would love for you to just shed some light on the uh, on the importance of sleep and how you bake that into your process 
and and what that's done for you as a human, both from the mind and the body, as far as you know, performing at a high level. Yeah, no doubt, man. I'm glad you brought that up. It's something that is a practice that I really, really take seriously. And um, going from masters to the doctoral program is another shift, of course. The level of responsibility, the level of intensity, the level of intellectual cognitive aptitude you need to be able to do that. And it, it was just, it was crazy, you know, taking four to five classes a semester, teaching three to four classes a semester, being a part of three to four research projects as a principal investigator, doing outreach all around the state, all around the campus, on top of training for team handball. Like, I don't even know how I had time to do anything, but I'm a Scorpio. And I think most Scorpios like to be dynamic and like to have a lot of shit going on at once. And I thrive in that. I get really bored really quick. And that's, you know, hindsight 2020, why I was bored in high school, because it was too slow. It was too monotonous and one thing at a time. But the irony is mindfulness is the opposite of Scorpio, in my opinion. But that's my yin and yang. That's my balance. I can be extremely intense at some times and I can be extremely chill at other times. But I know the same fire that I have that lights my path also will burn down the damn forest. So I have to make sure that I found I find my equilibrium and to your earlier point, my homeostasis, my balance to be able to perform at my highest level without sacrificing my health and wellness, without destroying a personal relationship because I flew off the handler. Like my mom says, your scorpion tail came around and you stung somebody. Now you got to fix it. So it's a learning curve. You know, it's a process that you got to start to figure out as you grow and you mature. Cause I was off the handle as a kid, man. Like, I mean, I'm talking like not even a kid, like a few years ago, it was, it was, <laughs> it was intense, you know, and handball came at a good time because I was able to harness that intensity and that energy and to put it on a court and, you know, go against somebody with a different color Jersey on than me was fantastic. To your question about health and wellness, sleep specifically, it wasn't always like that. I'm actually a night owl or I was a night owl. I love the evening hours. And as you can imagine, as a doctoral student, all that other stuff going on and you're getting home from practice at 8.30, 9.30, sometimes 10 p.m. at night. Now you got to refuel and you got to be ready to go by morning lift at 6 a.m. before you go and teach and conduct research and potentially have an outreach study. Oh, you also have some classes as well. And by the way, training starts at 5 p.m. the next day. So from a time management, energy management standpoint, it wasn't always that I got eight to nine hours of sleep. It was more like I shifted my day to where I don't remember the amount of hours, but I know I was going to sleep kind of late. But in those late hours, that's when I was creative. That was when I was able to dream and explore and to kind of push the limits of the universe, if you will. And by morning time, I, st I felt so energized by those creative moments that I could sustain myself until about one, two, three p.m. Then I took about a twenty to thirty minute nap, power napped it, went into training, and the cycle continued. But once I left my doctoral program, I realized this is not sustainable. I'm going into professorship. Things are going to shift. Responsibilities are going to, you know, move around a little bit. So I'm going to get more and more serious. And part of it is my partner. She's also a Team USA athlete at the highest level, and she does not mess around with sleep at all. And I started to realize. I can't be a consultant for health and wellness for people if I'm not actually practicing what I'm trying to teach. Mm -hmm. So I took a step back and I restructured my daily routines and I got more and more serious in my first year 
second year, third year, and I'm now in my fourth year and things are so in alignment and it's super humbling and I'm super grateful for it. And in a weird way, I'm selfishly thankful for a pandemic because it allotted me a moment to step back, to really reconsider and reconfigure some things to where, yes, those eight to nine hours have been consistent for the last eight, nine, 10 months. And it takes time. You know, I can tell somebody, hey, you need eight to nine hours, seven to eight hours, six to 10 hours a night. And they'll look at you and they'll cross their eyes. They'll say, yeah, right, it's never gonna happen. But if you think about it this way, your day is predicated off of your sleep the night before. So the way I look at sleep is I start my day by going to sleep. So today's Friday, October 9th. I start Saturday, October 6th by what am I gonna do tonight to make sure that I'm sleeping by 10, 10.30 at the latest, so by 3 a.m., I've got all my restorative and rejuvenating and respiration, you know, is on point and I'm in my dream cycles. Then by 6 a.m., I'm awake and I'm ready to hit the day. I don't need naps anymore. I don't mess around with naps. So I try to double the amount of hours that I'm sleeping with the amount of hours that I'm awake. So if I sleep eight hours, I'm awake for 16 hours. And I keep that cycle and I don't try to deviate 30 minutes plus or minus. So I don't try to go to sleep. 30 minutes before my bedtime, if you will. And I don't try to go to sleep 30 minutes after my bedtime. Same thing with wake up time. So my normal wake up time is 6.30. I'll bring it to six some days. I'll push it 6.45, seven at the latest some other days. And I think that for me works the best. Will that work for everyone else? Maybe, but I'm all about, you gotta prove it to yourself. Science yeah. is science and research will tell you a lot of stuff, but until you put that into application, then it's just information. It's like that yeah. old Native American proverb. Knowledge is knowledge. But when you apply it, then it becomes experience and then it becomes more powerful. That was wow. a really long answer to your question. No, it's a, it's a great answer. And I think there's so many different directions that we could go. I think we're just going to have to come back on and do another episode because, you know, we, we, could, we could go down that rabbit hole. But, you know, you, people think traditionally with athletes – we just show up and we're good. You have this ability, right? It's like, like all of a sudden this came here. And I think the same goes true in the business world and in any profession where you become a professional, but so much of it is in the preparation and the repetition and the consistency of the preparation. And I think sleep gets neglected in that cycle. And it's something we just take for granted. So I just think that's something really interesting that you've identified, you were able to put a process around it. And now four years into it, you see tangible results. I think it's oh, always yeah. cool when we're able to illustrate that and put it you know, from start to finish. Um, sometimes it's just nice for the listeners to hear the impact that has on a high performing academic and professional athlete. So sure. really great story there. So for the sake of time, we're going to fast forward a little bit, right? So you go on, you have a laundry list of accolades in handball, and now you start per four humans. And this seems to me the culmination of all of your life experience put into a baby. Would love for you to take a few minutes to give the listeners the, the, back count, the background of it and what you're looking to do with the platform. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up. So Perfor Humans is a platform that's rooted in evidence. So it's an evidence-based platform. And I designed that platform to facilitate a lifestyle of health and wellness, optimal performance, health, and well-being. So really what this started from was, to your point about life experience, you know, specifically through education, you're in school for 10-something years, 
that obviously has an effect on you and, you know, competing internationally will obviously have an effect on you as well. I'm from Jupiter, Florida. It's a small little beach town. I never knew I would visit Israel, Austria, Germany, go over to Italy, be in down in Jamaica, Dominican Republic, Canada, Mexico, like just all over the place. You know what I mean? And I think those experiences can have a positive effect on you or also can have a negative effect on you. I chose for them to have a positive effect on me. Same thing with academia. I chose for that experience to have a positive effect on me. And for me, it's all about paying it forward. I think it's against my morals to have all this information and to have all this experience. And believe me, I don't know everything. I, I don't know shit if you ask me straight up. <laughs> I know a lot about a little. I don't know a little bit about a lot. You know what I'm saying? So it's selfish for me not to give that back, not to offer a platform and services to individuals that are interested in increasing their performance, increasing their health and well-being. So that's ultimately when I started to think more critically about a consulting platform. And that consulting platform, as you mentioned, is entitled Perfor Humans. So if you look at it and your listeners go and search it, they'll see the human element is literally reinserted and reincorporated into performance. P-E-R-F-O-R-H-U-M-A-N-C-E, Perfor Humans. I believe that's necessary because for a long time, we've neglected our bodies. We've neglected our vessel, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our brain. We've neglected it because we want to perform at a super high level. And especially in the States, we're conditioned to believe that the only way to be successful is to have a big bank account, a few cars in your garage, your baby's running around, your standard issue house, your partner, you know, the list goes on. But no one talks about health and wellness. No one talks about sleep. No one talks about nutrition. No one talks about what you need to do to hydrate properly or what you need to do to get off your ass and move. No one talks about it, right? And we wonder why mental health is such an issue in our country, let alone the world. In fact, one in three athletes are going to have a mental health issue in their career. I think that's an underestimated number, just saying. Say that again. One, one in, three. in three. One in three. Yeah. And tomorrow's mental health day, by the way. So that's a shout out yeah. to mental health day. Um, but, you know, real quick in regards to mental health, I try to reframe things and I try to restructure things and get people to think a little bit differently. Hence, perform humans, put the human back into performance. We can talk about mental health, but in my opinion, I think it's more important to talk about cognitive well-being. It has a different feel to it. It's not so stigmatic. It doesn't have this negative connotation associated with it. We don't kind of sit back in our chair and say, oh, you know, mental health issues. Uh oh, we got to go see somebody and sit in a room and burn incense and, you know, talk to someone real low light. Like, no, we're talking about cognitive well being. We're talking about being able to perform at your highest level and maintaining control of what's upstairs in order to reach optimal performance but also maintain health and wellness and not just maintain, I'm talking about thrive. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. don't survive, let's thrive. Like let's push this thing to our highest level. As far as I'm concerned, that's why humans were put on, on the planet, you know? Yeah. So the platform itself is in nucleus form right now. It is my little baby. It started about two years ago. Um, within the last year I've launched out the website which will be fully redesigned by December because I can't even look at it anymore because it's like, oh gosh, it's too archaic for me. Uh, we've got <laughs> social media accounts on Instagram and Facebook. Our following is modest. I'm humble enough to say that, but I believe in my heart that it's all about 
quality over quantity. Um, we have a podcast that's been launched as of late. It's called Preform, Prepare to Perform. It's all about the importance of preparation. I think if you prepare at your highest level, then your performance comes as a residual byproduct. It's pretty um, intuitive if you think about it that way. Um, we're selling different types of apparel. I mean, that's kind of just standard issue, but really the services are private consultation, live webinars, online instruction. I'm building out a masterclass right now. And just getting out to the community that here are some services and some techniques to utilize to be able to reach optimal performance, health and well-being. And and man, I got to tell you, for all you listeners, we're going to drop the link behind this. You got to check it out. And if you've been listening to, you know, the earlier episodes of influential leaders in sport, people that have won Super Bowls, that played tennis at the highest level, that were pro BMXers, they will all tell you that they're humans first. And so oh, yeah. we have to start embracing the fact that we're a human and that we're an athlete for a segment of our life. But what is that going to look like across the spectrum? And and this is, you know, one of the more forward facing. And like he said, it's rooted in science. It's rooted in data. It's not hokey pokey, that shit that we're just throwing out there. Right. Ford, I absolutely love what you've curated. We're going to do another segment so that we can really dive into the details because skimming over it is just not doing its service. But I wanted to go ahead and, and let the listeners know at least, you know, what you're doing and, and where you see things going on that front. So um, as we start to wind down, I'm going to shift to a couple personal things. And like I said, we're going to bring Ford back on because there's still so much to unpack here. But, you know, one of the questions we've been asking all of our guests, I'm really excited to hear your answer, but it's going to be about you shedding a little wisdom from your journey. So if you could tell the listeners one thing that you've done or experienced in your life that you would recommend they do or experience in theirs, what would that be and why? I think you got to leave, you got to leave your hometown. You got to step out, man. You got to just make yourself feel uncomfortable. And that doesn't mean you have to get on a plane and fly over to Israel for two months. It just means when you leave the door of your house, leave your shit inside, you know, leave your armor, leave all your fake identities, leave all your makeups, leave all your suits with ties, just leave it all, man. Just go out and be exposed, be naked, if you will. And, and just try to see what transpires and be willing to welcome interactions with people and look someone in the eye, you know, and say, good morning or say, hi, how are you? And don't just say it today. Hey, how's it going? And then you're on to your next email or whatever. Truly listen and truly pay attention to what that experience is like for them, but also for you. I think, Scott, we're so disconnected right now, you know, and it's, it's weird because we have devices that we say have, increased human connection and while they may have at the surface level i'm a firm believer that they're kind of making connections a lot weaker you know from a human to human standpoint don't get me wrong i'm yeah. thankful for technology you know I'm, I'm glad that we can do something like this but there's a balance to everything and if i can talk to you face to face on this but if i see you on the street and i'm like hey scott what's what's going on man and, and i'm just on to my next thing like what the like that that's backwards. That's totally backwards. And I see it all the time in the university. You know, I see these students that are 19, 20, 21 something years old, and they're all friends on Snapchat, Facebook, whatever, pick your poison. But when they sit in class, they're just sitting looking at their device. 
And I pay attention to that. I'll come in early and I'll just sit and watch. And they're friends on their media platform of choice. But when they sit next to each other, there's no interaction at all. That's so mm. weird to me. You know what I mean? That is so backwards. And they're the generation that's going to make a change. So if they really want to make a change, they got to unify. They got to unite. Not through device, but through heartbeat, through spoken word, through I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable in a debate that I have because I believe my morals are stronger than yours or vice versa. So to your question, strip out the negative nonsense, walk outside, be yourself for 24 hours. Try that out, you know, try that mm. out and see what that brings to you back as far as your own experience and your own knowledge and your own way of proceeding through your life. Guys, if this doesn't get you excited that Ford is a doctor that is going to be going out and helping people based off his experience, after hearing that answer, I don't think that you're ever going to get excited, man. We've got <laughs> great people at the reins. That is incredible insight. And I think it's conversations that we need to continue to keep having to strike that balance between technology and humanity and continue to figure out ways how to humanize technology. Um, because, man, me and you are not that far in age. And I am looking downstream and I feel like my grandparents right now. I never mm -hmm. thought that I would say that, but there is huge disconnects between human and technology. And so um, really excited to get back on. You know, we're going to have another conversation. We're going to dive more into the science and, and that's where Ford thrives. Um, but man, until next time, I just want to thank you from Check Checkpoint and myself. This, dude, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, any closing words you got for the guest? Perform humans, man. Put the human back into performance. Literally. Amazing. I mean, that's, that's all I got to say. Perform humans. Amazing. We're going to drop all of Ford's contact information um, and links so that you guys can follow him on social, even though it's a love-hate relationship. And we're going to put we're going to put the perform humans information so you guys can uh, check out the movement as it starts to gain momentum. Um, Ford, again, thank you for coming on the show. And until next time, guest, be sure to check yourself. Poor, thanks again.